quicker. That's and not necessary. There it is. Turn that all off. Okay. Ah! We're, we're floating. Hey, welcome back to the Shoebox Show. This is Keegan Van Hook, your host. Uh, today, I have Josh Sturm back once again. Ooh. Just he and I out here in the lovely Duncan's Garden, some secret place in Ashland that got to go uh, up Walker Street to find. It's up here. It's a cool place. I recommend it. There's a stream right next to us. It's very uh, placid. Yep, you're definitely hearing that. But uh, looks like everything is good with our recording quality, so we're off. I'm gonna turn this down. So I hate, I hate watching the waveform create itself while you're recording. It's like stressful. <laughs> you're like, don't overload it. Don't make it distort. Sick. Well, Josh and I have recently been collaborating quite a bit on a number of things, namely the. Um, aforementioned possibly on this show i don't know if i've actually talked about the alvor desert documentary on, on this audio program before first plug yeah first plug so i'm uh making a documentary similar to the cornucopia project this time about the alvor desert of eastern oregon and uh josh was kind enough to assist me in mixing together a soundtrack for it which is really exciting because having custom music unique music something made by a person is really just a it brings a lot of value to the project, so thanks for helping me out with that. But Oh, of course. It's yeah. my pleasure. I've always wanted to do that. I think it's like, it's fun to be able to create stuff, like especially because you had, Keegan met up with like a, a was it Marimba? Yeah. With a um, Marimba player? Yep. And what was her name? Emily um, Lindley. Emily and Lindley. Yep. She, so she recorded some Marimba stuff with, with Keegan, and then I... And then he brought it to me, and then I added some synth stuff on top of it. And it was like a very weird way to sort of like make music, because I've never really done that before. Like I've never like added stuff on top of something that already existed. If yeah. anything, it's like I'm more used to like either making it all from scratch or starting like making the initial kernel and then having other people build on it. Right. So that was like a fun challenge to try and like put stuff on top of something someone else had already made. Yeah, she did a really great job with all of that stuff. Yeah, She's, if you're listening, Emily, you're, I only know you because of your recordings on this, and they're great. Good yeah, job. you're a rock star. And uh, so that's the other 50% of the soundtrack. It's kind of a mix between um, using the marimba music as a very... I guess I should go back and actually like tell the story of how I even decided on how the soundtrack was going to sound. Because yeah. I just got back after spring break from filming the documentary and I had really no plan of how it was gonna all come together. I just had a bunch of footage. And then I was working the um, Ashland Independent Film Festival preview night, which is like the initial event of the Ashland Independent Film Festival where they like show all of the trailers mm -hmm. for the, um, the movies that are gonna be uh, like on display. Um, and ahead of the show, they had like this music performance where it was, um, who I eventually learned was Emily Lindley and then her like musical partner um, Patrick and while I was like setting up for all of our like um, televising stuff she was practicing and it's like the most haunting music ever it was one of those crazy moments where like someone's music really catches your ear and you're like that is perfect that's exactly what I need right it was exactly what I needed and so I just went and um asked her about it after the show and like got in touch with her over email and we talked back and forth for a few weeks and finally set it up and, and did a recording. So that's like 50% of the soundtrack is this very um, slow eerie spacey kind of marimba music it's um, super spooky it's yeah. like surprising like i always think the marimba sounds kind of like i don't know it has like this weird sort of muted quality to it where it's like it's sort of spooky but open sounding which is like a desert yeah. it's like the best yeah totally so the idea is that the marimba music is going to kind of represent the natural parts of this desert exploration and then the music that josh created is going to be sort of the the side of the whole thing that's like the story of Lewis Bankston and I and our explorations. So we have like a theme song now that's really cool and, and sounds sick. It's like some surf rock. I might intersplace, um, intersplace, interlace some of that music uh, into this recording as well or, or edit it in just so you can hear some samples of it because it does sound really cool. 
Um, and then, yeah, we created several tracks. It's like yeah. really, really cool. Yeah, there was the one, there's one that's like marimba that I put synth on top of, which was just like the weirdest. Yeah. It's so weird. And then we did another one on your computer that was like a, just synths and like sort of like sounded like a drum machine the one that's like the sounds like a horse like galloping or whatever and then there's and then we made a few at my house that were like synth and like drum samples and guitar and stuff it's been really fun yeah yeah i uh i think that i don't know it's been fun to sort of make music for a different like application than normally what i would do oh it's been really fun to like watch how music is made because i really have i'm incredibly ignorant about audio stuff part of the reason i do this is to try and like learn Learn. more about how all that works um but i like i absolutely have no musical chops whatsoever and so i've never played an instrument never in my well i should i i did play clarinet in middle school dude clarinet's hard clarinet i don't know why i chose that in retrospect i should have chose some other instrument but i played clarinet because i think that's pretty cool i think my friend had picked clarinet like it was a thing of we were all in the like middle school band and we had to pick an Mm -hmm. instrument and my friend at the time he's still a friend of mine actually a bunch of my friends had picked clarinet and so i also picked clarinet so that we could like sit in the same row yeah and like there's like (laughs) i feel like everyone that was in middle school band had like that has that same story of like yeah my friend played trombone so i started playing trombone and look at me now i'm like the first chair in whatever yeah. the opera or whatever. except in my case i really didn't connect with it at all i'm like mm-hmm. it was like a painful struggle to ever get me to play the clarinet or practice it so i never picked up any musical skills from that and then I tried a few years ago to learn how to play a ukulele, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just one of those things that's very hard for me to learn how to do. Totally. And I especially have no clue about, like, modern music production, like what actually goes into doing, you know, creating music in the modern format and that contains, like, all the depth that modern music does. And so it's just been really cool to, like, watch that whole process go down. As well as, I mean, it, it, it peels back the layers of listening to your stuff I'm like, oh, I kind of see how all of this is formed now. That's funny. It's pretty interesting. It's always fun to watch people, like, do their thing that they know how to do that I do not. (laughs) It's funny. I always feel like I've I've had, there have been a couple times where, like, because I have a new, like, that setup in my room that I have right now, the, like, desk with, like, the speakers and everything is relatively new. I've only had, I've been wanting for, like, years to have, like, a spot in my room or just in my house somewhere or even not in my house just a spot somewhere that's just like my like quote-unquote studio space yeah but I just haven't been able to get it together until like within the last like nine months or so right um and so I I've really only recently started making music in that space and it's like I don't know it's really it's really nice and I've there have been a couple times where people have come over and we've sort of done the thing that you and I have done where we like sit together and maybe like bang out some kind of project but it's always funny it like it's such a different like I don't know it's such a different vibe to like working with yourself it's like or working by yourself like it's so fun to sort of like I don't know just kind of attack at attack it from both angles totally yeah I mostly work alone with my movie making stuff like the cornucopia project I did with Lewis like to film it but then pretty much all of the researching and the editing um, and the production mm-hmm. of it or the post-production of it went completely by myself like I was totally alone through it so it's been refreshing on this Elvor Desert thing I've actually had like help because Josh has also been helping me uh, here with um, some of the recording of the voiceover. Like, yeah, the voiceovers and the informational segments that you'll see. Like, we're doing a lot with the green screen, and I'm using the uh, Rogue Valley Community Television and Digital Media Center space to do all that, which kind of requires at least two people to, like, have... I totally. guess I could, like, run and hit the record button and then run back, but it's, like, very that convenient. Sucks. It yeah. sucks to do, and, like, it's very nice to have the help of someone who is also kind of, like, a producer person in and of themselves, so that's been wonderful like yeah, actually no, working with people yeah i that's always a relief when you can like do it with other people and not be like in front of the recording medium and behind it at the same like trying to hit record and then perform it and then like like i run into that all the time with like like even in like the band like when we record it's like it sucks so bad to like 
you know, you have to go over to the computer and hit record and then go and play the song and then go back and then you're always frustrated because it's like, damn it, we didn't arm the Tom mic or whatever. And right. then it's all on you and then if any mistakes that you make like affect the entire thing. Like that's, I don't know. Yeah. It's really stressful. You end up running around a lot. Yeah. You have to do it on your own. Some people prefer that, which like I, I kind of get, but it's a lot, I don't know, it's kind of fun to do it with other people. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm learning to enjoy working with others mm-hmm. quite a bit. That's fun. It's Lewis, tough, Lewis uh, as I mentioned before, he's actually coming down um, tomorrow. He'll be here. By the time this is out, he'll have been here for a few days. And so I'm starting to think he's actually going to have a, a much greater degree of involvement in the post-production oh, yeah. of this movie. Does he do film stuff too? He's um, He does it through me, basically. Mm-hmm. Like He's a physics major, um, and he mostly wants to work as like an outdoorsman, some kind of a naturalist profession. Okay, so cool. he's not like a filmmaker in and of himself, but he's really into being involved in the making of these documentaries from like the perspective that he can sort of offer, that he's yeah. like good in the outdoors and entertaining on camera. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's into it from that regard. I think while he's here, I'm going to try and get him in front of the camera for at least one of those informational segments because he's a great like orator as well. He's really mm-hmm. good at saying words nice. and like delivering lines and stuff like that so i think it would be good to have him in on that as well but i can't make any promises because of course i I don't know what his whole mo is everyone's gonna be (laughs) everyone's gonna be like really excited to hear hear lewis you better get him in there now everyone's gonna be expecting it i I have no doubt he'll he'll be in there in some sense it'll also just be nice to have him like over my shoulder while i'm editing sometimes Mm -hmm. just like hey lewis look at this Mm -hmm. that is going to be what do you think right having him have that input yeah has he in the past had like just has he been pretty a part of like the editing and stuff of the adventure not with the cornucope not really no um we've done some like video back in the day we used to do a few videos together that we like edited some memes Mm -hmm. and like just was like you know basically fucking around with final cut totally um but in terms of the actual like making of the the documentaries he pretty much just lets that be my thing like i'll Mm -hmm. i do like all the editing and then like show him the results and he always just goes great (laughs) so it would be cool to have him looking over my shoulder a little more helping me out make some of the calls i really think that this alvor desert movie is going to be another level up just in terms of like what i'm putting into it yeah it's because i also am not rushing it like i don't Mm -hmm. feel any sense of it needs to be soon that it gets put out there i can wait on it for a while so yeah that's awesome that's like a good feeling there was a quote i heard from i've been listening to like just like so many podcasts about like music production and stuff lately yeah and there was one god i can't remember who it was somebody pretty good and well-known someone was someone in one of these podcasts was talking i think it was maybe larry crane from tape op i don't remember someone was talking about that like when you're making like he was talking about it in like the realm of making music yeah. but like when you're making an album or in your case a documentary a film um it's like one of the most detrimental things you can do to the project is to think about like okay well what am i going to do with this when it's finished yeah and it's like sometimes that can be like you know a real bummer and can really make you feel uninspired or something to like overly like think about like you know the marketing business shit while you're just trying to be creative and make something totally so that's probably good to just wait on yeah that. i really do want this like the alvor desert because the alvor desert is a geographic location is one of my favorite places in mm-hmm. oregon i like i've already made a documentary about it and it sucked i hated it and mm-hmm. like you can't you can't find it anymore i stripped it from youtube i hated it so much um and i knew i was going to make a new one and now it, it's like my favorite place in Oregon deserves mm-hmm. like the attention of being what will end up being the documentary. I say like, this is the best thing I've ever made. Totally. Um, Cause I say that about the cornucopia project often, that it's the best mm-hmm. thing I've ever made, but I think more, it's just the most involved thing I've ever made. Like, it's like the thing you've just put the most of yourself right. into. And while it was well received, I, I already think it was, it's not the best thing. Like I actually think totally. my, um, earlier movie about my car breaking down in the search of uh, the bomb site in Brookings is still the best thing I've ever made. Like mm-hmm. it just feels the best to watch. But some um, of that was luck, right? Just that yeah. such crazy shit happened to you guys while you were doing totally. it. Totally. Yeah. So the Alvor Desert, I guess the intent is to be like my most forward 
artistic endeavor so far. It'll it'll be the most like genuine to what I hope to be creating long term. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Well, well yeah. So how? Let's just talk about that second album. How's oh, it coming? Geez. <laughs> oh jeez. If I didn't mention it, I probably should have introduced you better. But people, people who are watching the show as a fan probably saw the others. This this is Josh Sturm, uh, who is the lead singer of the Juniper Berries, a locally pretty popular band here in Ashland. Um, they have a, a good number of, of strong hits, at least in my opinion. <laughs> but yeah, they're currently working on their second album, and it's sort of been one of those long-term, super-involved projects as well. Yeah, it's this one luckily still has only been about half its the amount of time. We've only spent half the amount of time on it thus far that we spent on our last album. Yeah. And I think this one's already sounding better. So it's definitely not done. It's hard to like approximate how done it is. Cause like, I don't know. I keep, I keep, it's like I'm learning a lot as I'm mixing it. Mm -hmm. It's like we finished recording it like a few months ago. Like we did mo, like the bulk of the recording we did in like three, I think it was three days at the beginning of January. Uh, well, we did a session in August that was supposed to be sort of just demos. Right. We weren't really trying to like, I mean, we spent a long time getting sounds and stuff, but we didn't spend a ton of time on like, I don't know, think like worrying that it was going to be final recordings or whatever. But then some of the takes actually came from that session. And then we did another session in January, right when we got off tour so mm-hmm. that we were like, we would be like nice and tight. And... We, we spent about three days in the RVTV studio there. And um, yeah, that's where we got most of the takes. And so everything's been mostly recorded. I've done a lot of overdubs and stuff and we've like re-overdubbed synth and obviously vocals and some extra guitar and stuff. But most of it's been recorded for a while. It's just been like sort of shaping it mm-hmm. from then until now. So about five months now, almost six months. Um, but yeah, I keep, I keep being like, okay, this is probably pretty much done. And then I'll learn some like crazy new like trick. And then like, I just, I just like recently learned about this plugin for anyone that's a gear nerd um, that's looking to learn some audio tricks. There was this plugin that was, I actually heard about online called the Ozone, what was it? It's the Isotope Ozone Imager Stereo Width plugin. And if you just put that like on your master bus and like turn up the width, it just like, I don't know, it's, it just sounds amazing. You should just go, it's a free plugin. You should just go download it and put it on your stuff. It sounds great. Um, but yeah, I keep learning about all this stuff. So it's stretching it out, but um, I don't know when it'll be done. Yeah. <laughs> Trip and I were talking about that on the last episode of this, which we also recorded here, talking about how projects end up getting extended seemingly in this period of life because it's you're constantly like learning new things all the time yeah like while you're still being educated it can be kind of difficult to finalize anything because you get really close to feeling like it's finalized Mm -hmm. and then yeah you like learn something that is new that you're like oh i wish i'd done that and now i have to like you feel an obligation to go back and fix everything yeah it's it's tough because like i also think it's really valuable to be able to just like sort of make something and then slam it out and then you know make something in a pretty quick amount of time and then maybe you learn something from that and then you apply that to the next thing like I think you can sort of do this same thing we're talking about in like multiple iterations of a product yeah but it's like I don't know it's also hard because it's like the next you know you only get so much like it's such a big project you want the thing you're working on now to be really good yeah um but yeah, no, it's tough. It's it's really hard. I've been listening to a lot of like audio podcasts and stuff lately, um, and and just talking to like friends of mine that do production work and stuff too. And it seems like a big thing that people are having a hard time with is like being really decisive. Mm-hmm. And like I think that's something that I want to try and work on right now because it's like it's really easy to just like work on a project for a year and just like slave over it forever. But I also think that at a certain point, it's good to just be like, well, I'm saying this is done. And like, even if I could, you know, wring out another little bit of, you know, prettiness from it or whatever, um, it's also important to just kind of stop. Totally. Yeah, because that's like the bind is that if you ever 
like I would hope to make a living off of this stuff one day, and I'm, I know you do as well, that if that was ever to be a reality, at some point you do have to like get into the, the mode deadline. of being able to crank things out, just like, yeah. you know, make a thing, make a thing, make a thing, and constantly release stuff. Well, I think it's, it's also different when you're under a deadline, I imagine. I mean, I've never been under a deadline for like music, but yeah. it's, I imagine when people are like, okay, you have like a week totally. to like, you have to have this done in a week. Like, I'm sure if someone said that to me, like, finish the Juniper Berries album by Monday, I would, I probably would. You know, if you're under pressure, you'll just figure it out. And I think there's an element of that that is beneficial too. Totally. Yeah, when I do, well, okay, I should, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm gonna be working with a guy and making a, a documentary for him, as it turns out, and I'm hoping that he gives me a deadline because mm -hmm. I don't want to like do that to him. Like, yeah. be like, okay, dude, like, sweet so we filmed it like i'll be back with you in like a year and a half yeah i know <laughs> like uh no the story behind that though um is there's this artist in new york named mm -hmm. mark tribe who is doing a project called the new nature project where his aim is to record 24 hours of straight footage in a natural setting and he's already done it to a few other natural settings in, in various parts of the country but his next location is going to be this, the, um, the Cascade Siskiyou National Monument, which is right here close to Ashland. And so he contacted the university and asked them to recommend to him students who were like both proficient in outdoorsmanship and media production, which is something that I, I fit the niche for. And so I got literally word of this vegan. And, yeah, that's like my that's what I self-ascribe as being my thing. So I was like, hell yeah. So I signed up for it and he got back to me and he ended up uh, watching the Cornucopia project and he liked it so much that he asked me to make a similar thing for him for like this project. He wants me to follow him out into the forest for like seven days and film him making this project as well as just help him with the logistics of the project itself and then edit together something with the, the typical thing I do with the voiceovers and the, the whatnot and, uh, and, and give it to him for whatever purposes he has in mind for it. So that's a pretty exciting thing, but he needs to give me a deadline on uh, when he wants that edit finished yeah. by, or else yeah. it will go on forever. Because like that's what I do as well. Like I just keep going. It's so hard. And then spend long periods of time not working on it because I don't know what I want to do, and then I have to like think God. of the new idea. It's like I need some pressure to yeah. get me going on that. So it's I feel so that <laughs> it's so hard to like motivate yourself. Like I, I'll run into that. Like I'm at the point of, with mixing the Berries album that it's like I won't work on it for like a week, mm -hmm. and then I'll you know and then i'll go in and work on it and maybe have a really productive you know couple days on it after that but it's like i don't know i it's it's really hard to put that pressure on yourself totally yeah you as well have an exciting opportunity to work with uh, cryptic mysterious faraway artists <laughs> um if you want to talk some about all, all of that deal yeah i um i have the opportunity to go and be an intern at a recording studio in torneo texas called sonic ranch that um, I'm very excited about. I'm gonna be leaving to go out there on July 1st, and I'm gonna go just be an intern there indefinitely. I'm going for a month at least, but it might stretch out to be longer than that. I have a feeling that it will. I don't know how long, um, but yeah, I'm gonna go out there and be bestowed some knowledge. That's a great way to learn that sort of stuff. Totally. That's, actually, we just had, you met her the other night, um, Shayna, Oh, I have her business card, actually. Uh -huh. I can re I can remember her. I forgot her last name. I've known her for a while. Shayna Lerner from uh, Oakland, the Oakland band Stranger Than Fact. They're great. Go check them out. She just stayed at my house the other night, and Keegan and I were hanging out with her. Yeah, she was cool. It's great to talk to. Yeah, and she she was talking about that, too, just that the best way to learn some, really anything, in, in this case, audio like production, but the best way to learn anything is just get dropped into the environment and just, yeah. like you'll sink or swim kind of it's always what i'm saying about my time working for charles douglas at rvtv yeah. was like that was the most educational experience of my life and like he didn't even necessarily go out of his way to teach me that much it was just like he showed me what i needed to know and then would answer any questions that i had yeah. and other than that it was just following the dude around for nine months um mm -hmm. I learned everything I know about television production at this point. Like, I already knew a good deal about cameras and some about audio and, like, the basics of how those things work, but I really knew nothing about, like, live streaming or whatever. Yeah. And now I know, like, I, don't, I wouldn't say a lot, but a whole lot more than I did. Totally. And, like, that, 
I didn't learn any of that in school. Like I took the classes that should have hypothetically taught me the things that I've yeah. learned there and I didn't like learn anything really, nothing, nothing stuck. Totally. But following a guy around for a good couple months or like a couple of years would be more ideal. Um, totally. You know, you will become an expert in whatever you're doing rather totally. quickly. Um, because you're like yeah. solving actual problems. It's like different in a classroom where they're like, here's how you put like put a filter on something or whatever the hell. Yeah. Whereas in at RVTV, it's like you're working with people who are like, hey, I need this totally. thing to happen. And there's actual stakes. Yeah. Solving which, real problems. Is, yeah. Is big. I think that helps a lot with that kind of thing. Totally. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm very excited about the internship. It's gonna be wild. I've never, I grew up in Southern Oregon, and so yeah, I've spent 23 years here. I'm very excited to go do something else. Something outside of here. Somewhere outside of here, yeah. So you've be... never left Southern, or I mean, I know you've left Southern Oregon, but you've never Not really once. left Oregon? No. Or no, the West Coast anyway? No, I've, I was born in Medford, actually, and then I moved to Rogue River when I was like three and then lived there till I graduated high school. And then I moved to Ashland and I've lived here for five years. And now I'm graduating college and I'm gonna move to Texas. Wow. <laughs> for a little bit. <laughs> it's pretty wild. I am, um, yeah, I, I, I am really actually excited to not be in Southern Oregon anymore. I'm like, I don't know why I've stuck around this long. <laughs> it's a good place, it's comfortable. Yeah. I think it's comfortable. And I, I've always been bitter about that too. I've been like, God, everyone just sticks around here because it's comfortable. But then I found myself doing the same, yeah. the same thing. So it's, I, I'm, I really need to just like kick myself in the ass and go out and do something new. Break free. That's so interesting. Cause we've discussed this, but to me, Southern Oregon feels like the new frontier. Like, yeah, because I grew up in Portland and my opinion of it came to that. I could never be anything in Portland because everyone already is something there. Like totally. every niche is full. And especially what I am, like a media guy, like, mm -hmm. you know, you can't find that unique of a role for yourself there. Like, you could obviously get work, like, running around doing, like, stage grunt stuff um, for as much as you want. Like, that kind of work is plentiful. If yeah. that's what you want to do, then, then there you go. But in terms of trying to, like, be someone unique in any way, mm -hmm. it felt like there was no room have for that impact. in Portland. Like, yeah, I want to have an impact on it. just even the local sort of environment around me totally. and then moving to the small area it feels like if i can find a role to fill mm -hmm. then like it'll all work out really well and totally. i'll actually feel like i'm i'm doing something larger than myself which is a feeling that's very important to me totally yeah it's it's hard to do it's mm -hmm. um but it's also hard i mean the flip side of that is like being someone who has lived in southern oregon for forever it's really hard to like i mean it's still hard to be a it's hard to be like an important person anywhere, I think. Yeah. But it's still hard to have an impact. Um, I mean, it's not, it's maybe not as hard to have an impact locally, but it's like the flip side. It like you can be if you live in New York City or something. Just to use that as an example, you can be like a moderately locally popular band in New York and like, but still have like a shitload of fans like yeah. everywhere else. You know what I mean? Whereas in Southern Oregon, it's like it's not it's not a monumental effort to be like the biggest band in Southern Oregon. It's not easy, but it's, you know, it's not as hard as it would be in obviously like New York or something, but that doesn't necessarily translate to like anything else, anywhere else. Yeah. So, and I, I think that I'm using a band as an example, but I think that applies to most things. Maybe, maybe the film industry would be different here because it seems like there's a lot more of that going on. It's all about like figuring out what kind of fame you want. If, if fame is what you're after or just recognition or yeah. anything like that. And, like, when I was younger, I used to think a lot more about being, like, actually famous yeah, totally. and having, like, a huge national or global following. Like, mm -hmm. those are always the fantasies. But then it turned more realistic for me, and I've realized that it would, it, it would be satisfying to me to just have, like, a local recognition. Like, you know, totally. this, this program here, I would probably consider it local, at least to Oregon, but probably mm -hmm. more so even just to Ashland, because, like, yeah. a lot of what gets talked about is Ashland-centric. Um, and, like, that's cool to me the like feeling that you're a part of a community and even if you're not known outside of that community you're you just have that your needs you met. have that that thing met like everything is going well for yeah. you people are are you know providing for you because of the role that you're filling and, and that's well, and i think that's super satisfying feeling yeah that is satisfying and i think that's like 
better. I think everyone should just strive for that. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I hope that the world moves more in that direction. Like I have, I have hope that that's actually how things are going to sort of start to pan out a little bit more. Um, but you know, it's also hard. Like, I don't know, even that can be hard sometimes. Um, like I, that's one of the reasons I'm leaving Southern Oregon is because it doesn't necessarily feel like there's like a place for me in this community. Yeah. You know, it's, it feels like people don't really want what it is that I can provide. So I'm excited to go elsewhere and try and find that. Totally. Yeah. And a place like Eugene would probably do you pretty well yeah, with no, what you're doing. Exciting. Like, And that is also just sort of the thing is like, it can't be anywhere. Southern Oregon works well for me because like yeah. the type of thing that I like to do totally. is something that is facilitated here. Like mm-hmm. as a fallback, I can always just work for the university. Like, totally. you know, that's yeah, a I thing. Know. Like, and that's not a thing in a lot of places where totally. like there's a fallback for whatever you're doing, but totally. like Southern Oregon and Ashland are just sort of large enough mm-hmm. that every industry exists here at some yeah, level. Totally. You can like merge into it, but every segment of those industries is like the small version of it and so it makes it like really friendly and easy to like get involved with on a deep level basically as deep as you want to get in on it it seems like Like you can just like give your time and Mm -hmm. and people will will facilitate that it's really cool yeah no it it is and and like the fact that there's a i don't know like you're just walking down the street like i take that for granted that you can walk down the street and like run into people you know and show like oh hey what's up how's it going like that's just incredible yeah that's really nice um yeah i'm definitely gonna miss that damn yeah i'm gonna miss (laughs) ashland a lot i'm sure you'll be back to visit oh for sure i will too many too many too many people here that i will miss to not come back yeah ever yeah, even when I moved away from it, I still was, like, incredibly drawn back. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. oh, my God, what a gorgeous place. Yeah, no, it's great. And then, of course, the number of people in the Rogue Valley who don't live in Ashland but just, like, come into Ashland for various things all the time. Totally. Like, what a place. What a place to be. It's a good It's a good one. Yeah. It's a good egg. Like this park. <laughs> yeah, no, this is great. It's just, like, you don't... There's so many little parks like this in Ashland, too. It's great. That's what I found about it. Oh, my God, that's a huge one. Oh, hey. <laughs> Hey, boy. There's a large bug that just landed on my arm. Oh, I guess he went away. All right. Did you ever hear back from that guy who you were talking to from the podcast, the, the producer that you reached out to? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I sent I sent an email. I was listening to a podcast, so this is very meta. I love it. Um, I was listening to a podcast. It's called Hanging Out with Audiophiles. I don't remember the guy's name that runs it. But there was this producer on there that I really like named Andrew Sarlo. And he's just like, he's the shit. He's, um, he's done production for like Nick Hakim and Big Thief. And uh, I think Hand Habits is a band. And yeah, just he's done a bunch of shit. But, um, and he just really like, I don't know if you have this, but like, do I mean, do you listen to, I feel like there are people that do this and people that don't. Do you listen to a lot of like, interviews with people you admire or like podcasts about about topics that you're into yeah it depends on what it is and also the mood that i'm in if i feel like listening to podcasts because sometimes i really don't yeah totally like burnt out on them super Mm -hmm. hard but yeah like but usually not things that are related to what i'm actually doing because to me i like to i'm trying at least to have an extremely broad understanding of things in the world like Mm -hmm. i don't need to be a super expert about any one thing like Mm -hmm. I just would like to know generally about a lot of things. And so that's usually what draws me in is like just some sort of new subject or a subject that I know I have interest in, but don't know very much about. Yeah. I'll then like get in on that. If someone is being interviewed, like especially the Joe Rogan show is probably the one I listen to the most. Yeah, it's really that's, broad. that's like the most like simple format of that where it's yeah. just like here's a guy and now we're gonna talk and it's raw talk yeah and he's just talking about whatever uh, spew about all the things that they're interested in and like totally. you, you gain so much from those types of conversations like listening yeah. to them so yeah like i listen to things that that i'm interested in but like a very low amount from like actually like media mm-hmm. people usually it's like other topics like science or um, uh, okay. society stuff just to like know about it because mm-hmm. then i feel like that sort of can double back even if it's a long-term thing into like the media that i make Mm -hmm. um it all kind of enriches it yeah just enriches it and like 
it's a great way to find like new topics of interest that can be turned into documentaries. Totally. I think that works well if you're making like nonfiction work is that what's more important is having an education about other things other than what you're but doing. But you can then draw on yeah. to make your films better. That right. makes sense. Because you really don't need to know a lot about like movie mm -hmm. making to make documentaries. Like they're pretty simple. And, yeah. you know, some of the best documentaries are incredibly raw, like just footage and voiceover. And like you can learn to do that in a few days or a totally. day even just with YouTube tutorials and get some equipment or rent some equipment and, mm -hmm. and you're good to go. Like it doesn't yeah. take all that much to actually do. The hard part about it is like understanding a topic enough that you are comfortable making a documentary yeah. about it. Yeah. And then you, sure. it's like good to know a lot of different things about a mm -hmm. lot of different things. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally. like a wide base. Because, um, like, that's helped me with the Alvor Desert. Like, mm -hmm. you go there and it's a big, flat expanse of lifeless nothingness. It's like, yeah. what is there to talk about? And so, for that one to have any information to actually share, other than just, like, look at this place, isn't it crazy? Like, yeah. um, having, like, real interesting educational content in there involves, like, branching out a little bit um, and going, like, well, who's the Alvor Desert named after? Like, it's named mm -hmm. after this guy. What was he up to in his life? It had nothing to do with that particular desert, mm -hmm. but it's still an interesting story. And totally. like, so researching really far into that um, will be like a major area of like interest in the film that it has all this historical stuff really having nothing to do, how do you, with the place. When you're doing like one of those documentaries, if you're trying to learn, like how do you accrue that information about the place? Do you like do, do you do a lot of that research while you're like before you go or is, was that stuff you learned while you were there or is that information that you learned after? So the way I've been doing it as I've, because I, I usually end up filming these things rather, rather sporadically. I have the mm -hmm. idea for a long time and then suddenly the time comes and it's like, oh, we could do it now. Let's go yeah. now. And like we suddenly go. And so I've actually been rather unprepared for, for mm -hmm. both uh, the Cornucopia project and this one. I didn't research very much about mm -hmm. the place ahead of time. And with the Cornucopia project, we learned a lot while we were out there, like yeah. learned about all these cool things. Like that's how we got the interview with Wild Bills. We just were told about all this stuff. Yeah. Um, but we probably would have done better if we had researched things ahead of time and had like real objectives. Yeah. And same thing with the Alvor Desert. Like there's stuff out there that actually would have been good to know about ahead of time mm -hmm. to go check out, but we just hadn't like researched it in depth enough. And so in the future, the way I'd ideally do it is like have a bunch of research to draw on before I go out there. Um, yeah, that seems like, but I could also see that might like bog you down or something too. Yeah. Like I was going to say that seems like it would be really helpful, but then also it's like, maybe there's something cool about the way that you like just go and are just like, we're just going to fucking walk across the desert or you know what I mean? Like totally. where it's, it's a little more, uh, impulsive mm -hmm. and that might be a little, or like off the cuff or something. And that might lend something to it too. Yeah. I don't know, there are different approaches. The vibe we're always after is trying to go and just have an adventure basically yeah. and film the whole thing and then yeah. come home and figure out what we want to do with it. Yeah. Um, that's always been the way that it's done. And it works out like there's always something cool to report on yeah. like historically or scientifically about a place. Um, but like one thing I've wanted to do that I haven't had the chance to do is like on location information mm -hmm. spewing. Like, being able to like stand next to a thing and tell you about and what like, it this is. This is what it. Yeah. Right. That would be so cool. But we just <coughs> we've not had that opportunity, mostly just from a lack of ahead of time research yeah. to know what's there that we should like make sure we specifically arrive at to stand next totally. to to then talk about. Mm -hmm. um, would be that would be very useful. Um, and we have actually like Kenny and I uh, have been doing that with birding with Kenny now where like. Mm -hmm. We started by just going and filming a bunch of birds yeah. and then coming home and sitting down and organizing the shots and then making up some voiceovers and like finding scientific yeah. information about the birds that we wanted to talk about, blah, blah, blah. But now we've been doing more of a thing of like, Kenny has just a big wash of information in his head now. Mm -hmm. He's like getting very good at biological identification. That's awesome. Um, and so he has that ability where he can just be like, oh, that fern there is- um, Is this. Is like sage, I, I can't remember what it was that we actually identified in the field, but he was able to like stoop down next to it and be like, this here is oh, this awesome. bush and here's why it's like this and it that's was a poisonous so thing like you shouldn't eat it it'll kill you in a shitty way wow um and like that's those rad. are really cool segments where he can like pick up the plant and be like isn't that cool totally and then we've been doing that also um like going to the science lab here at sou um where they have like all the bird specimens and he can mm -hmm. like pull them out and he knows a lot about them so he can just hold them there and tell you about it totally. um and that's like a huge quality boost to that show 
Um, and I'd like to be able to bring that into my like longer form documentaries, the things that mm-hmm. I'm making myself. Yeah, that seems like it would be a cool, that'd be fun for the audience member to watch. I also do like the vibe of like, I don't know, it, it kind of shows different layers when like you do the thing in front of the green screen where you show like the map and you yeah. know you, you sort of do a little more narration and stuff. I think that sort of helps with like the, it makes it more cinematic, which yeah. I think sometimes is is fun too. Because that's the weak point in the Cornucopia project to me, is that the whole thing is voiceover and nothing but voiceover. Yeah, like totally. there is, There really isn't a moment in the movie where any information or even dialogue is shared with mm-hmm. the audience in a super intentional way that like carries the story. Oh, really? Along. Like every story moment is accelerated by me then going like, we then proceeded onward. And like yeah. that works well a lot of the time. And, and like it works for that movie. It gets you through it. But mm-hmm. it's just, it's like what you said, more cinematic. Yeah. If there's like someone talking to you on screen, it's mm-hmm. something to look at um, and kind of draws you in. And then also with the way that I'm doing that, like green screen stuff, it's sort of entering over the shot and being like, listen up, here's some information. It's like totally. an intention drawing thing. Um, like if you space out on it, which I think is easy to do with the Cornucopia project, totally. like space out and not realize what yeah. you're watching for a long period of time. Having like someone almost literally enter frame again and be like, information time. You're like, like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. what? <laughs> it brings yeah. you back into it, hopefully. That's the idea anyway. And that's that was like the improvement I'm making between the Cornucopia project and the Alvor Desert. Nice. And hopefully what I'll do with this Mark Tribe thing as well. Mm-hmm. I really want that to be to be good for Mark Tribe. <laughs> yeah. Is he going to film it? Or are you guys going to both have cameras? Or? Um, he just told me to bring my own camera and, and film it the way I normally do it. Like, w- what he expressed to me is that he really liked the Cornucopia Project and he wants mm-hmm. something like that. Um, wow. And so I've, like, told Trip as well, like, you should mm-hmm. bring your camera and film. Oh, yeah, because Trip's um, going too. Yeah. How many of you are there going to be? I think there's going to be four of us plus okay. Mark Tribe, so it's nice. a team of five. It nice. might, there might be more, but I met two of the others um, as well. And that's all I've met, so I think that's Did it. Did you know them before? No, um, they seem like chill people, but... Um, are they from here? Yeah, they're awesome. Okay. They're like, um, what are... One of them is an OAL student, and then the okay. other one is an RCC student, but they're also, like, very into outdoorsmanship nice. stuff. That's cool. Um, but does, they don't really know as much about cameras. They're mostly coming as, like, the pack mule. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. It's like what he described himself as. He's like, well, I don't know much about cameras, but I'm, I can be a pack mule all day Yeah, I'm just going to be here long. and do it. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> so, Go on an adventure. So it's kind of a mix, like it's Trip mm-hmm. and I who have the like media knowledge, um, and then it's these other two people who have more like outdoor knowledge probably than I do. Like yeah. they're OAL people, um, That's and they, like they just know more than me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I told Trip I think he should film as well, just so that there's a variety of shots. So I think it'll be the two of us, cool. sort of doing all that. Worm guy. We got a little inchworm here. This is the beauty of of shooting outdoors. I know. <laughs> I'm getting like bugs and stuff all over the place i love it he's oh, like yeah. orange whoa he's such a along. fast incher <laughs> you go little little guy oh, oh usually those things are green that's weird yeah i don't know if that's actually an inchworm that was a little caterpillar yeah anyway but yeah that's rad that's um that's gonna be a really cool project that's so funny that that it seems to have just kind of like fell into your lap kind of did like and it's right up your alley i got really lucky because trip heard about it first and mm-hmm. then he told me about it he was like yo this artist named mark tribe is gonna be in oregon he's a cool guy like you should yeah. hit him up and, and try and get on this so i was like yeah and basically just like told trip like yep like tell whoever needs to be told i'm like in and give yeah. him my email um because like i didn't have any contact to reach out to mm-hmm. so it was sort of up to trip and, and trip came through and he like gave that's my awesome. info to somebody and then they they reached out and were like yo trip told us about you and that's awesome we want you to talk to mark tribe and and then mark tribe was like i want you so bad like yeah, <laughs> i'm like that's oh so my rad. gosh uh, feels so good yeah and then I, then it's high demand yeah that high demand feeling that like i've been so successful in the past mm-hmm. year getting like good work has been lending a lot to the feeling that like what am i doing in college right now yeah why am i here like i know dude that's uh-oh. <laughs> i felt that way the last mm-hmm. year or so like i could be possibly successful or if not like super successful i feel like mm-hmm. i could at least survive at this point like yeah without it i could just do like what we were talking about with um what's her name from the uh the band that was at your house um, oh uh uh shana yeah shana when we were talking to her and she was talking about like 
union work. Oh, yeah, like, working for the audio union or right. whatever. And, like, there's unions like that for all of the media industry roles that you can have where you just, like, yeah. slap your resume on a pile mm-hmm. and then wait to be called. And, like, awesome. if you live in a high-demand area, then someone calls you. Like, that is something I could easily fall back on now totally. with the type of work experience I've gotten. Like, I'm totally qualified to help carry boxes full of cables around and yeah. shit like that. And that's money. Totally. Like, that would be survival. Yeah. Um and like it doesn't even pay terribly like it's, really? it's okay money and mm. you know a lot of people in it say it isn't very good money because like once you get used to being paid a certain amount it feels like much feels less like crappy money from yeah. where i'm sitting in college i'm yeah. like that's okay money that's, that's fine, fine with me, me. Like, hell yeah it's better than it's care. a little better than minimum wage like yeah. anything better than minimum totally. wage is like something to me is a bonus right yeah and i can live very simply especially because i already have a lot of the expensive tools i need to like do my my, my more passionate stuff like Totally. I don't need a whole lot of money to, to get by. So that's that's been the bind. It's like, I could go and potentially do some cool work and at very least just easily get other work. I know, um, dude. So it's been, a, it's been a bind. Like, the whole getting a degree thing feels harder and harder to justify every day. But at the same time, every day, I theoretically get closer and closer to a degree. Yeah. And then you get into that whole sunk cost thing where it's like, well, shit. Like, it would be a huge waste to pull out I know. at this point. That's like, I, I was... I did that for so long. I was like deliberating about like whether I should like transfer schools or like if I should just like take a break from college. And by the time I, by the time I sort of started getting to a point where I could make a decision, I, it was like my junior year or something. And I was like, whatever, fuck it. I'm just gonna finish. And you know, I don't, I don't regret having done it at this point. But we'll see how I feel on the other side. Yeah, because that's also the fear. Is I have this thing like I could drop out and go into just professional life and do just fine but then i just see it's probably just because of this particular school but i see so many like older students who did exactly that yeah like, they they didn't go to college earlier on and now they're like back at the age of 50 because they're like yeah. well i'd like to move up yeah and totally. like if that's sort of an inevitable feeling that i will one day get then i wouldn't want to have that regret of like oh why didn't i just finish like yeah. it was a year it seems like everyone <laughs> i know that's older that like didn't that didn't finish feels that way yeah i don't know anyone but also like things were different maybe 10 10 20 30 years ago totally um so but yeah i don't hear anyone that's like in their 40s or 50s that actually regrets going to college yeah um granted i live in a small area and it's so i'm sure there are people out there that do feel that way but um yeah, I don't know. It's, it seems like something that most people think is a good decision mm-hmm. in the future, like once, once it's been a while. But damn, it definitely does not necessarily feel that way in the moment. Yeah, I just really strongly feel the thing of like paying the most for college, getting the least out of it. Because yeah. a degree is just less valuable now than it was a yeah. bit ago. Um, and then also it's more expensive than ever before. And at least at this school, I don't feel like the education quality is, is high enough to justify the cost. Yeah, it's like, the thing that pisses me off about this school is it's not even, like, it's not connected. It's yeah. like, you don't get work from the school. Like, it's hard to do that, yeah. Yeah, like, I, I was talking to one of the, one of my professors in the MDA department the other day, and I was telling him about, I can't remember who it was. It wasn't the other day. This was, like, two months ago or something. But, um, and they were like, Oh, I was telling them about my internship and they were like, Oh, did you, did you get that through the school? And I was like, no dude, like I got that on my own time of just like hustling, sending people emails. Like this school does not teach you how to do that. Yeah. And it's kind of a shame. Right. There's so many kids graduating that, that are like unprepared for the, the real world and who are just going to get like their asses kicked. Yeah. Yeah. There's very little teaching is like, how do you actually get gainful employment because like it's easy to get a job in like sort of the the low tier jobs where it's just like the work that the the roles that absolutely need to be filled in society like those are easy to get but it like in terms of employment that is what i talked about like larger than yourself where you feel like you're working on something that's like important creatively fulfilling yeah yeah like and fulfills you you have to have like this weird gusto to like get into any of those things. Yeah. Like there's always someone to impress in a very particular way. Yeah. Um, and like that isn't really taught. And like my Maybe method, it can't be taught. Though. It might it might just be that that it's something you can't teach. It's a personality thing that you just have to have that like 
perfect type of charisma to like yeah. charm the to person. Land your thing. It's yeah. also like a big factor is just a matter of luck, like right place, right time, totally. right person. <laughs> yeah, for and sure. Like, so you might be right. It might just be something that can't be taught. But I feel I just, like yeah. there must like I just actually was in a class that was all about job interviewing mm -hmm. um, and like it, it purported to be a class about how to get hired. And yeah. I felt like none of the information was useful. It was so yeah. formulaic. I'm like, this isn't how human interactions work. Like, yeah. And also, it might work in that way for some industries where, like, you go and you sit down at a panel interview and they want you to answer the questions in super specific ways. Yeah. But I was just thinking the whole time, like, if I really genuinely answered the questions these ways, I'd be lying about who I am. Like, yeah. I'd be yeah. lying about myself. I'd be bullshitting them. And then in the end, it wouldn't they work out They can tell. Well. Like, people yeah. can tell when you, like when you fuck with them in that way. Right. Like, people aren't a bunch of robots following a protocol, which is kind of what that class turned things into. That's, like, yeah, that's how it feels, like, a lot of time, like, the academic world views, like, views the professional world or something is, like, a lot of people that are just making decisions based on, like, empirical data, cause, data, because that's what you do in college, but it's not really how the professional world works. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'm just... I don't know. Excited to be done. Totally. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here and do something different. Yeah. That's going to be very cool. Yeah. Just a, a change of scenery, especially if you've been in the one place for 23 years. I know. That, <laughs> that was the first time I've said that out loud was earlier in this podcast. And I was 23 like, years. 23. Holy fuck. Yeah. I have yeah. not had that because I, you know, moved away from Portland. No, that's and, like, great. This all feels fresh. Yeah. I, I was going to, um, I was going to go, I would have gone to U of O, which it's funny because now I'm thinking about moving to Eugene. Yeah. Um, potentially. And so it's like, it's funny. It's like, maybe I would have been better off, but it's also like, but I'd probably be in significantly more debt. Yeah. If I had gone to Eugene. It's more expensive for sure. Um, so to go to U of O. So I don't know. Also just life would look different. Like I think about that a yeah. lot. That like, I barely came to SOU. It was sort of a whim decision. Like yeah. I. Mine too, honestly. I applied for only SOU and I had only taken the ACT. I wasn't very serious about mm -hmm. trying to get into college. Yeah. And it all just somehow worked out. Like SOU was being SOU generous. just doesn't give a shit. They're like, all right, you yeah. applied. And they just accepted me. And so it's like, all right. And so I came on down here. But uh -huh. it's like thinking about how close of a decision that was. Like life could have gone such a different branch off. And yeah. sometimes I think that would have been more advantageous. Like if I had just like gone and worked for Intercom and been their photographer, like all of that was set up prior to me getting accepted and mm -hmm. deciding to go to SOU. Like yeah. I could have followed that path and like been a photographer for that company. Who knows where it would have led totally. after that? Like totally. it just, it could have gone horribly or it could have gone well. Like who knows? When it's also like we haven't lived enough life to know whether or not that would have like worked out in yeah. the long run or not. Yeah. You know, you might be, if you had done that, you might now at this age be like, oh shit, like, you know, having some like quarter life crisis or something and be totally. like, damn it, I need to go back to school or whatever. Right. Because, like, I wouldn't have discovered that I, like, enjoy working for TV at yeah, all. Like, I wouldn't totally. have learned any of the shit that I know about TV. Yeah. Um, and, like, that's just such a whole thing. So it's, like, looking at the results that have come forward, even with how, like, sort of shitty the experience has been in many ways. Yeah. It's like, well, I wouldn't reverse this. Like, I kind yeah. of like where I'm at, and I, I can't guarantee that any alternate mm -hmm. realities, so to say, would be better totally. at all. I Yeah, I'm a firm believer that, like, you need to, like, even though, I, like, I can get lost in that sometimes of, like, yeah, like you said, alternate, like, would the alternate reality of me picking this other path, like, have yielded, like, would I be happier now or would I be closer to, like, where it is that I eventually want to be or something? But I kind of believe that, like, you just, every, especially at this age, everything's just a learning experience. And, like, me coming to SOU and taking which in my mind that was like the easy route was coming to Ashland versus moving to like I I almost moved to Nashville or I almost <laughs> like I I there was a school there that I really wanted to go to called Belmont that was a music university and but I think that if I would have gone and like it's easy to romanticize the idea of like if I had done that I'd be so much further along or whatever but it's like that easily could have just kicked my fucking ass yeah. and I could have fallen further backwards totally um and then you know moved back and ended up going to SOU anyways, but just be like a year or two years behind. Right. So you never know. I think it's best to just think about it and like, yeah, well, I learned, I've learned lessons and just moving forward. Totally. Yeah. Life is linear. You're just yeah. going one direction, moving through it. So yeah. there's like, 
no sense in really dwelling too much on those like close call decisions that almost got made. Yeah. Because like yeah. Because ultimately you made the one that you made and like there was a re- there must have been some reason for that. Yeah. Like, it's easy to romanticize other like pathways or something, but it's like you made that decision for a, a reason, so just stick to it. Yeah. It's fun being able to trash talk the university on this on this show. Oh my god! Because I, I feel we have a platform. I feel sort of. <laughs> such a sense of liberation because I see like a lot of my friends at the digital media center. They make like content yeah. in a lot of similar ways, but it's always associated with the university. That's something that they seem like, to care a lot about. Yeah. Like this friend, is for our podcasting class. Right. Yeah. First one pillar. One right. pillar of this fucking show is that we get to talk shit about SOU. Yeah, we can just talk all the shit we want. Uh, that's, that's always so much fun. <laughs> I know. I love it. I'm really excited to not have that. Like, not sort of have to worry about that anymore. Like, yeah. you know, that like it's fun and it's like it's a way to just like you know blow off steam as to like oh my college is a piece of shit I'm like fuck this place. But I'm excited to move on and actually not have that kind of, like, negative attitude or whatever. Yeah. Even though it is fun to do. That's the thing. I was talking with my mom about this the other day where I was like, the amount of anger and frustration I feel on, like, a daily basis because of the university yeah. is, like, a whole factor yeah. in why it's like, am I, should I be doing this? Like, is this any way to live? Like, yeah. I just feel all this, like, angst all the time towards them. Like, That's oh, also probably just, like, so frustrating. Age. Yeah. And, like, maybe I'd feel that about any institution that I had to work I know. Under. I wonder about... Is that a thing? Do most people fucking just hate their schools? It might be. I don't know. Oh, write, write in. Let us know if you hate your school. Yeah, yeah. Do you hate your school? Like, do people... Like, I know, like, some people that, like, went to Reed up in Portland, and they they would talk a bunch of shit about Reed, but some people love it there. Yeah. I mean, some people love SOU, too. I grew up next to Reed, actually. Really? Yeah, my house is, oh, like, three blocks no. from Reed College. We play... The Juniper Rays played a house show in that neighborhood one time. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's like, funny. Like, it would have been in 2017. Eastmoreland or Reedwood? I don't know what the name of the I feel like is. it would have been Reedwood if it was a house show. It East, was... Eastmoreland is bougier. That's where okay. I grew up. It was weirdly bougie, though. It was, like, very odd. We like... Did it have a center, like, strip running through it of grass and trees? Was there a central boulevard running no. through the neighborhood? No, it was, like, a cul-de-sac. Okay. That... That's probably Reedwood. Okay. Yeah. It was, like... God. Over it, on the west side of Reed. Yeah, it or must north have. side, I think. Northwest side. I don't remember. I've still never actually been to the Reed campus, but I know that like everyone that lived at the house went to Reed. And when we drove up, my friend that was in that was with us was like, oh, or yeah, was like, oh, Reed's right over there. Um, but I've still never been to the campus. But it was a weird show. I remember that was that was really fun. The funny thing that always gets said about Reed by, like, people who live in that, like, the kids growing up in that neighborhood would always talk about Reed, especially as yeah. we were, like, getting closer to the age where we'd go to college. We used to say, like, oh, Reed College? Oh, yeah, the campus is beautiful. The academics, yeah, they're okay. And the drug problem is incredible. Yeah, oh, my God, <laughs> dude. We showed up to this this house show, and, like, all the kids were just, like, like doing Xanax. Like, when yeah. we showed they were, like, offering us Xanax and beer and, like, pills and stuff and it was just like jesus christ they're off the charts there i've heard that it's still really weird going back and like being in that neighborhood um as a kid who grew up in the neighborhood but now also being like the same age as the college students there because there's still this feeling of separation like there always was like oh those are like them the Reed college people but and i and i i assume that that would go away when i was like the same age like just like walk onto the campus and just be like hey what's up maybe that'll be different i haven't been back there in a few months but as far as i know like lewis and i went walking around and through there and like the the feeling of separation was very real like that's a different culture of youth the people who go to reed college versus the it seems like a very like weird it seems like a very insular kind of weird bubble yeah it seems cool i mean i don't know i've heard the the campus is gorgeous i've never been on there oh my god i heard that my friend daphne went to reed and she i remember told me about how so they planted a bunch of ginkgo trees on the campus there, but someone fucked up and planted, I can't, it must be the female trees are the ones that actually produce fruit, mm-hmm. or it might be the male. I, I mean, I assume it's the female, I can't remember, but for ease of conversation, let's say that it's the female trees. Um, but someone planted a bunch of ginkgo, ginkgo trees on their campus, but they, they fucked up and they planted a ton of female trees, which produce fruit. And the ginkgo tree fruit just smells like like rotting flesh. It's yes. like the gnarliest smelling thing ever. And but all these trees have been like 
because they take a while to reach maturity before they start to produce fruit. So for the first like, you know, 10 or 15 years or whatever, they were like fine, they were just normal trees. And then all of a sudden they started producing this fruit, but they were so big and there were so many of them that the school was just like, fuck it. And There's just left them. Then, yeah, and it's just like disgusting for like all of the spring and the beginning of summer. It's just like smells like shit all over the campus. That's amazing. I know. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been there in like that season for a while. I'm going back up to Portland for a week right after graduation time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go check out all those all those old spots. Hell yeah. It'll be nice. That'll be sweet. It's been like a long time now since I was in Portland, it feels like. Do you go know, up very much? Not really, because I don't I, I didn't have a car until very recently. And so yeah. now I have a car. And so I'm mm -hmm. like going up very soon now that I have a car. Like totally. hell yeah. And I probably will go up there a lot more frequently. Mm -hmm. Like now that I have a car, the whole state of Oregon is like open to me again. That's a good you know? feeling. And it's just like, yeah, like whatever I need to go go do, whoever I need to see, I can, I can just, just go do it on a weekend. Like it's it's easy to do. Like totally. I have a car and it's pretty fuel efficient at that. So like that's awesome. It's not a problem and it can handle terrain. Oh hell yeah. Yeah, that car, that car is a dream come true. Thanks, but, Charles Douglas. Yeah, thank you so much, Charles, for selling me the car for such an incredibly low price, even though it was every dime that I had. <laughs> that was a funny feeling. Is I gave Charles every like all of my money yeah <laughs> and then i was like all right here you go i have a car but no money no money yeah yeah that's how but it can go sometimes when i made all of that money working for him <laughs> that's that's pretty hilarious yeah i mean i he wasn't the one paying me but, but yeah anyway we should probably wrap it up because i got to get to work at, oh yeah at five and we just passed 420 so Woo! yeah anyway josh thanks so much for coming along always a pleasure yeah thanks for it's having been good me. having you been good knowing you i'll miss you i'll miss you incredibly oh i'll miss you too yeah. i'll be back though i i'm not leaving forever cool. leaving for a time but I, I'll, I'll stop yeah. in at eugene it's a convenient halfway point hell yeah sweet all right my man thanks for joining thank you for watching or listening rather to the shoebox show uh this has been keegan van hook and josh Sturm, and i'll see you whenever the next time is that i see you Ooh.